Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco and today we have Leonie McKeon on the show who is an expert in Sun Tzu's 36 Chinese strategies which were derived from the infamous book, The Art of War. Further to this expertise, Leonie is a China-educated strategist, a business consultant, an internationally published author, a workshop presenter and a keynote speaker. She lived in the greater China region for several years where she learned Mandarin, and immersed herself in Chinese culture. During her time in China, she noticed that all the Chinese people at their core have knowledge of the timeless negotiating strategies known as the 36 Chinese strategies derived from Sun Tzu's book, The Art of War. That she became obsessed with them and she decided to build a career around helping people understand them. She states that these strategies are fundamental concepts within the Chinese culture and manifest themselves in all aspects of Chinese business negotiation and everyday life. Leonie has worked with many hundreds of business people and written six books to help people understand how to use these 36 strategies in any business environment. In this episode, Leonie and I touch on her journey to today from backpacking all over the world to spending years living and working in Asia and how she became an expert in the art of doing business with China and she shares some learnings and tips on where to start. Leonie and I also spoke at length of her passion for the 36 Chinese strategies, and we deep-dived into five specific strategies, which Leonie was kind enough to provide some very clear and practical examples. For all those who are interested in both strategy and doing business with China, this is a must-listen for you. If you love the episode, which I'm sure you absolutely will, be sure to hit the subscribe button and check us out at synergyiq.com.au and synergyiq on all the social media outlets. Cheers. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host, and today we have the wonderful Leonie McKeon on the show. Thank you for joining us, Leonie. Great. It's great to be here, Daniel. Thank you. Leonie, you are an expert in all things, uh, the 36 strategies and business with China, basically. So are you able to, uh, can we kick off the, um, the podcast with a little bit of background of, around how you came to be? Because you've got a lot of followers on LinkedIn and a lot of support. Your YouTube videos are amazing. So uh, it'd be really interesting just hearing how you uh, ended up in this world. Sure. It was a little bit of an accident, um, actually, and I suppose uh, that often happens to most people who end up to be experts in their field. Many years ago, uh, my friend and I were travelling around the world with backpacks on, and in those days there was no internet or email, you know, Facebook or anything like that. So off we went travelling around the world and uh, we went to Europe, we drove a car around Europe for three months. Then we ended up in Israel living on a kibbutz for six months and then we continued the journey. I said to my friend, do you want to go back to England and 
get a job or should we just keep going? And we decided to just go for broke and keep going. So <laughs> off we went. Why not? And we went to Egypt and Turkey and then we ended up in India. And almost 18 months have gone past. And I said to my friend, we were actually in Kashmir at the time, when Kashmir was Kashmir, um, and I said to him, how much money have you got left? And he said, he told me and I thought, oh, we have to get a job. <laughs> we actually have to work. So I had this fabulous idea that we could go to Hong Kong and get a job. Okay. That would work really well. Yeah, why not? Coffee shop, something like that. Yeah. You know, we'd be fabulous at yeah. that. <laughs> so off we went and we stayed in this really downbeat youth hostel in Chunking Mansions. And if anybody has been to Hong Kong, they will know that Chunking Mansions is pretty downbeat. But that's yeah. all we had money for. Yeah. It was it was summer in Hong Kong, no air conditioning, so it was absolutely sweltering. But that's okay, you know, we're looking for a job. And so off we went and with no luck because what we didn't realise was that we looked like we had come from India. So we had drawstring pants and long hair and, and everyone in Hong Kong were, was walking around in smart business suits. So... Yeah. Nobody was really going to give us a job. And then, I mean, I don't know whether any of your listeners have had the situation where someone has changed their life and you've only met them for five minutes and you never see them again. During this journey, that's actually happened to me twice. So the first time we're in this youth hostel and this guy comes up and he says, what are you guys doing here? And I said, we're trying to find a job. And he said, go to Taiwan. And I said, really, what can we do there? Now, remember, I've got no university degree at this time. (laughs) And he said, "Uh, you can teach English. Really? Now, my only experience with Chinese culture, I used to live in Melbourne. And I remember every Thursday night we'd go to a Chinese restaurant and I would order lemon chicken. It was in Chapel Street. That was it. That's, and I had a go a at the chopsticks. Yeah, that, that was it. And I had a go at the chopsticks at that time. But that that was, no. you know, many people still asked can't me. Master the job many now. people asked me, Daniel, you know, did you did you understand Mandarin? Did you did you have experience in Chinese culture before you did this? Well, the answer is no. So off we went to Taiwan. And we stayed once again in a pretty cheap youth hostel, but it was a bit more upmarket than than Hong Kong. Now, there's notice boards. English teacher wanted. English teacher wanted. Oh wow! Yeah. However, they wanted American English teachers. Okay. So guess what? We're Australian. Yeah. No job. Now, no job. <laughs> yes. So and no university degree either. <laughs> so oh, university degree and American. Mm, what are we going to do? We're now in Taiwan. So, you know, what do you do? Well, I decided that I could speak American so <laughs> I could learn to speak American. So I changed my accent and I worked out that our long A's are their shorts, so our our, our glass is their glass, our uh, class is their class. Yes. Okay. Yes. Our A's are their errs, so father becomes fatherer. And I learnt all the vocabulary like, you know, high top, gym boot, boat, uh, you know, boot, um, uh, trunk, you know, sweater, jumper, all of the different things. Everything, everything. (laughs) And so um, and my university degree, well, luckily there's no internet because my university degree was always arriving in the post and for some reason it never arrived. (laughs) And so... 
you know, I really slipped through the cracks in Taiwan um, in the way that I got some really good English teaching jobs. Now, we, we went to Taipei. So in Taiwan, there are two major cities. There's Taipei and Kaohsiung. Taipei is the, is, the, is the capital city there. And so we're living in Taipei and, you know, six months go past and, you know, I'm in these I ended up with this fabulous English teaching job and, you know, the boss is always saying, where's your degree, Leonie? And I said, my mother's sending it in the post, but it never arrived. And I'm sure that he knew <laughs> that what was going on. Anyway, um, and my 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 American accent was from Boston because I worked out that that was the closest accent to Australia. Oh, good. Yeah. There you have it. Um, and so I got trained in English teaching, you know, really fabulous training and ended up to be quite a good English teacher. However, six months go past and I, I don't speak any Mandarin. I don't read any Mandarin. My, my life is becoming really small because everything in Taipei is in Chinese, okay? And so, you know, we're living in this apartment and the bills were coming under the door. They don't, you know, they don't get sent to your, your email because there is no email. Yeah. And it's electricity or gas. And I couldn't read them because they're all in Chinese. And I was continually taking this to work. And so I thought, ah, you know, how am I going to survive? So I decided to start to learn learn Chinese. And so I put myself in uh, Chinese school 10 to 12 in the morning and then I would study Chinese characters in the afternoon and then from 4 to six or four to five thirty, I would teach a children's class because that's when the children's classes are. Mm-hmm. And then from six to nine, I would teach an adults class. So that's that was my life for a while. Then, you know, my Chinese got really good. Um, I started to read all the signs and oh gee, it's like putting glasses on. You know, when mm. you can't read something, mm. all of a sudden everything becomes to life. Yeah, you feel human again. Yeah, it's like <laughs> oh, I can read that sign. It's <laughs> actually a you know. Um, you know, that's a motorbike shop, that's a juice bar, that's a something else and, you know, and I didn't have to get everything written down and, you know, try to, um, you know, try to communicate when I didn't understand the language. Moved down to Kaohsiung, um, which is the second major city. Everything is in Chinese in Kaohsiung, everything. So so that was great for my, my language skills. And I ended up living in Taiwan for almost five years. So in Kaohsiung, I could become Australian again because they really wanted English teachers and you could really only live in Kaohsiung at that time if you had the language because you really couldn't survive without it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the apartments were probably half the price um, for rent. The, 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 the salaries were good because there weren't that many people that, that yeah. spoke Mandarin. Yeah. And so then uh, – then my friend and I decided to open a clothing business, bringing clothing from Kathmandu into Taiwan. There you go. Uh, yes. So I basically did three things in Taiwan. I taught English as a second language. I got a really good job in a children's language school called Macmillan um, who have like 8,000 students of editing their, a series of uh, children's ESL books. I was the only foreigner in the office, so that was, a real, that was a real learning curve and also opened a small clothing business, bringing clothing from Kathmandu into Taiwan um, because we would go to Nepal 
December, January, February, because it's Chinese New Year, that kind of thing. So there's not a huge amount going on, mm. you know, for foreigners in Taiwan. So it was a great time to go somewhere to go else, away, yeah. get all these things made, come back and sell them. Then I thought, you know, I want to get a university degree. You know, I've done all this stuff and my life became, you know, came to a bit of a brick wall because I was like a sponge. I had no analytical framework to 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 look at things. You know, when you have a university degree, you, you put it through the framework. Yep. So I thought back to Australia. You know, now eight year, almost eight years have gone past, seven years have gone Since past. Since you were embarked on your journey. That's right. Since yeah. I came back. Well, I did come back to Australia for a visit, however, you know, not living in Australia. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, prior to that I'll go to China because I had not been to China and I had the language, I had the culture and I thought once I get back to Australia – and I, I decided to live in Adelaide. Once I get back to Australia, that will be it for travelling, you know, going to China because I'll become a full-time student. I won't have the money. Mm. You know, I knew my life would change. So I decided to go to China for three months. Um, so I did the East Coast, uh, you know, uh, Guangzhou, um, you know, and I went, you know, up to Shanghai and, you know, up to Beijing. And then I thought, wow, you know, this is really good because I'm understanding my language skills were getting more and more. I was understanding the provincial differences, mm. the accents. Now, I'm not talking about dialects. I'm talking about accents because in Taiwan, thank you is like sesia, whereas in China it's sesia. Mm, so okay. I started to understand. It's like Americans say father, we say father. Yeah. So I've got all these accents, yeah, you know, yeah. different accents in, in Chinese, which is fabulous. So I went back and redid my visa. Um, in Hong Kong, and then I ended up staying in China for a year, yeah. backpacking around. I went right over near the Burmese border, right over near Tibet. There were times when I did not speak English for three weeks wow. and really spins your brain, you know, really. Yeah. Came yeah. back to Australia um, and then I became a full-time student at the University of Adelaide and uh, that was in uh, nineteen ninety. I think that was, yeah. Became a full-time student. What, just, what were you studying? I studied anthropology. Okay. Now, I had no idea when I started <laughs> when I started university that I would want to do anthropology, yeah. right? Yeah. I started off with Asian and said, nah, yeah. anthropology is great. Yeah. It really opened my mind yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. It was fantastic. So my BA is in anthropology, um, which is absolutely fantastic. So then I thought, well, you know, I like the to be an. I'd like to be an academic. However, I've got this entrepreneurial sort of bubbling thing going along, yeah. you know, in my body because I'm from a business family. Yeah. So I thought, mm, China, you know, I'll look at what I can do in the business world. So I left the university, and I still remember going out of those gates and thinking, I have no idea what I'm going to do. <laughs> And um, I told spirit. the lecturer and he said I'm a bit just, you know, he was disappointed I wasn't going on in anthropology but wished me well, okay. Anyway, I found I located a scholarship with the University of Adelaide called BIG, Business Initiatives from Graduates, and I thought, oh, okay. Um, they give out five of these scholarships a year in those days. This yeah. was 1997, yeah. all right. And so uh, I won that scholarship oh, right for on. 1998. And uh, that was fantastic because the University of Adelaide completely support you. Part of the criteria was, though, to do a, um, a postgraduate degree in business. So you're doing a business degree, you're running a business, you know, or mm -hmm. the whole thing. 
I opened a business. Do they still do that? Yeah. No. No. Well, I think they have scholarships, but not like that. Like it's that. changed, yeah. yeah. And so I opened a business called Chinese Language and Cultural Advice, right? I opened that business in 1998 and I ended up with eight staff, yeah, all wow. Chinese, okay, well, yeah. Australian yeah. citizens but yeah. Chinese staff. Yeah, yeah. We did translations, um, interpretations, cultural awareness workshops, you know, everything to do with China. Now, the second time someone changed my life in this process, when I met someone, changed my life within about 15 minutes, my direction. In the year 2000, I'm going to China on my regular trips to Shanghai, go to a networking function, meet someone, and he says, Leonie, let's go for coffee. Fabulous. He's an Australian guy. He'd been living in Shanghai for 10 years, mm-hmm. all right, very, you know, very fluent in Mandarin, understood the culture really well. And it's really interesting, Daniel, because when I go back to Shanghai, I look at that coffee shop where we went and that's actually a Starbucks coffee shop because that's all that was there at that yeah. time. And I think that's when my life changed about China. And he said to me, Leonie, have you heard of the 36 Chinese strategies? And I said, you mean the strategies from the art of war? And he said, yes. And I said, well, I've read the book, but I don't see how strategies of two and a half thousand years, have two and a half thousand years old, have any bearing on the contemporary business world. And he said, get to know these strategies intimately, upside down and back the front. And he looked out the window and he said, because that is the key to understanding Chinese thinking. They are like idioms, like don't cry over spilt milk. Mm. We know what that means. Mm. It's like an idiom, all right, but it doesn't mean that someone is standing there crying and the milk is spilling, all right. We know what it means. Every Chinese person has heard of the 36 Chinese strategies. They know what most of them mean. Whether they consciously use them or not, they are in their unconscious. So I thought, okay, so I'm sitting on the plane and I thought, right, hmm, This is a journey now because what I knew was there's the art of war but there's nothing in between to to interpret the strategies in the contemporary business world Mm. because the art of war is about emperors and bows and arrows and crossing rivers. and Yeah, 100%. Look, I've got two translations at home on my bookshelf and and, I've read both of them and 100% right when you say the idioms. You, you're really trying to understand, you know, and we'll go into a few sure. momentarily, but yeah. like Lua the Tiger and all this sort of stuff and you start thinking, what, what, what is going on? So, yeah. What is going on? So, so Is that I, where the idea of, of creating your own books came well, from? Well, yeah. I'm sitting on the plane and um, absolutely and I thought, okay, when I get back to my office on Monday morning, I am going to ask my staff. So I go in and I say, have you heard of the 36 Chinese strategies? And they all looked at me as if to say, uh, yes, <laughs> haven't you? And they all had their favourite strategies and they yeah. started talking. So then I started. Is it taught within their schooling system? No. Okay. Daniel, where did you learn don't cry with spilt milk? Do you know? Well, yeah, 100%. Yeah, there you I, go. Just that's, through that's my point. everyday life. That's yeah. my point. You learn it through everyday life. But I wouldn't. It's funny because I wouldn't sit around going, oh, what's my favourite Idiom. Oh, no, well, they, look, they didn't actually say what's my favourite. Someone said, oh, I really like strategy 30. That, okay. That's what they yeah, were saying, yeah, yeah. you know, in that way. And they were talking about it. So then I took each strategy and gave each strategy a contemporary business example, which took me a very long time mm. because I interviewed Chinese people, I looked at case studies, and then I started delivering workshops on them. 
Okay, so this is in the year 2000, we've got 2002, 2003. Um, I'm then asked if I can deliver uh, keynotes at conferences. So, you know, three strategies at a conference in, in a keynote. Mm. Um, and in that time, the mining boom was happening in WA. So I was flying a lot to WA and doing conferences. So I became very focused on the strategies. The yeah. staff were doing the rest of the work. What, what was it about the strategies that drew you in? That Well, I knew that if to be an expert in Chinese culture, I knew that I had to know them. Mm. I knew that that's the piece I had to know. Was there an element of you ever thinking, though, this could be the sort of the, the step to me building a business that, you know, that can take on the world if I know these strategies. Obviously they work, they're 2,000 years old. Well, I think um, I knew that if I put the time and effort in and be able to interpret it, and that's one of the things that anthropology teaches you is mm. how to take an idea and make it and make it understandable to, mm. to someone who doesn't understand it. Put it in layman's terms. Put it in so, layman's yeah. terms. So, so then I started delivering conference at conferences. So, you know, I got onto the conference speaking circuit so – I work for, you know, some of the conference speaking bureaus. Yeah. Um, you really, still do that today. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Having said that though, um, of course, you know, there weren't a lot of conferences no. last year. <laughs> I still do conferences. Absolutely. It's part of my work. Yeah. Um, but obviously I'm not travelling around yeah, to yeah, different yeah, yeah. places and, and doing conferences at the moment. Um, and so when I'm at the conferences, people are saying, Leone, we need a book. We need a book. Have you got a book? And when you go to conferences – you see people sitting there signing their books, and, mm. you know, and I thought, mm, I'd like to be one of those people. So then I thought, well, I will start writing books. And so I I segmented the books into six because the strategies are arranged in groups of six. Yeah. So the first six are the, like the advantageous strategies. Then you've got the next six, the opportunistic strategies, then the confusion strategies. That's how they're arranged. Yeah, well. So I, I started. Do you, and do you have to read them sequentially? In that no, no, my books you don't. You can you can grab whichever book you like yeah, okay. and it will make sense. Mm-hmm. And I, I that's why I didn't want to have people, you know, having to read each book, you know. So tell me about the titles because you've got the tiger and the dragon, the two, and the, you kind of one your first books the uh, tiger, the second books dragon, That's third right. books tiger, fourth yeah. books dragon. Now. So they go like tame tame the tiger, deceive the dragon, you know, lure the tiger, um, uh, endure endure the dragon, um, flee the dragon, that kind of thing. So it, each what? book has each book's title relates to the strategies in the book. So, for example, Tame the Tiger is negotiating when you are in a position of power. Okay. Okay, Deceive the Dragon is the advent is the um, opportunistic strategies where you want to retain power. Okay. So each book has their own angle. Their own yeah. angle, yeah. yeah. Great. I love it. I love it. Can we can, – can, can I geek out a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I love the, the Sun Tzu's books. Um, sorry, his uh, Art of War uh, strategies. Um, can we g- jump into a few and sort of discuss them? I've got a few sort of pre-prepared. Sure. Strategy one, yep. fool the emperor to cross the sea. Okay. Help me understand that. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Strategy one, yes, fool the emperor to cross the sea. Now, just like don't cry for spilt milk, these strategies have a code inside them. So you don't – the point is with about, about the strategies, like don't cry the spilt milk, 
you don't take them literally. You have to understand the code inside and that's Mm -hmm. been my job to understand that. So first of all, to get the idea of fool the emperor to cross the sea, I'm going to tell you the story, Daniel, the the ancient story. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so Emperor Lee, all right, he wanted to fight Korea, all right, and what happened was he was too afraid to go across the sea. He was petrified of going across the sea and his generals thought, how are we going to get him on the boat to go over the sea to fight Korea? Mm -hmm. So what they did was they thought, "Mm, okay, what does he like doing, all right? He loves wine and he loves food. (laughs) And he loves being entertained and he loves he loves singing. So they did the boat up like a big party mm-hmm. and they brought him onto the boat. They sat him down and then they started the entertainment. So he sang and he drank and he ate. All of a sudden he was in Korea. <laughs> he was in. Because they did they put they made the boat familiar. Yeah. Fool the emperor to cross the sea. So in this case. You look at the strategy, who is the emperor and what is the sea? So in a Chinese context, let's say you're going to meet your Chinese your Chinese contact, wherever that may be, whether it be in the next state, the next city, in China, wherever. And Chinese people being, being very hospitable pick you up at the airport. Now the difference here is that in Western culture, negotiation starts the next day because we compartmentalise things. Negotiation in Western culture is one word, Mm. whereas in Chinese culture it encompasses 36 strategies, all right? So you picked up at the airport and you think, well, you know, my meetings start the next day, that's fine. And so then you're taken to the restaurant and you feel comfortable. Mm. You feel good because, you know, you... You're getting on well with your Chinese counterparts. And then on the table, there's the beer from your from your city. And so you re- you feel really So they do a bit of research. Comfortable. They do a bit of research. Yeah. Just like the just like the emperor on the boat. Yeah. All right. And then they ask you a question. And it's a question about price or size or colour. And you answer it, but you you are sorry that you answered it in that way because you're not in the meeting mm. and now you've answered something that could potentially be detrimental to your to yeah. you you know catch, getting the best out guard. of the negotiation yeah. you know for that time yeah. so that's full so so the idea is that you understand you understand that you know when you're when you're picked up at the airport and taken to the restaurant you are Beginning the negotiation. You are the emperor. You are being fooled to go across the sea. But which sea? Where's the shore? Mm. And what are you doing? Okay. Um, And so as long as you understand that that strategy could be in action, then, you know, you're okay. But And that doesn't mean sitting at a – Sitting at the restaurant and you know thinking, oh, you know what will happen. Yeah. That you just understand that negotiation starts to. People often ask me, Leonie, when do we start the negotiation? I say, well, okay. When did you meet that person? Well, we went out for dinner with them. That's when you started. Yeah. But we weren't talking about money. Doesn't matter. That's when you started. 
So how do, can you relate that to an Australian to Australian context? So, you know, B2B yeah. in Australia, um, is it, you know, is that the whining and dining that we see that happen? You know, let me take you out for a coffee, let me, whatever it might be to, to okay. get information out of you. Fooler Emperor to cross the sea, um, all right, I'll give you an example in, yeah. in an Australian context. Let's say your television, yeah. all right, on the news they're talking about you know, news things, and then they put into the news that, you know, Foodlands or somewhere uh, have got this amazing meat special that they're bringing yeah. in. Yeah. What they're doing is they're putting advertising into the news. Yeah. Okay, So, but we don't know it's advertising. No. We are the emperor and we are being fooled to go across the sea. So they're putting it inside something. So right. the subtle, the subtle That's right. subtlety. That's yeah. right. So inside an environment, it's basically taking, taking someone from, taking someone through the familiar environment they know into the unfamiliar. Okay. So I'm not familiar with that meat, ah, uh, but I am familiar with the news. Yeah, and news presenter. That's and, right. Yeah. So so how you. You know, it's a fabulous strategy to know because, you know, you can, if you have a new product, you can put this, you know, you you need to understand your consumer and what they already know and then you bring it through that. Yeah, so it's um, a lot of research that goes into that one strategy, really understanding your target. Well, think about it with China. If you're, if you're marketing a product to China, mm. um, you may need to... You may need to um, modify it, but how much do you modify it? Mm. So you you don't want it to be too Australian, so people think, or too Western, so people don't understand it. Yeah, but you don't want it to be too Chinese, so they think it's a Chinese product. What's interesting in all this is the, is the the Chinese uh, business to business in China, right? They would they understand these methodologies being used against them? Okay, let's ta- let's take out being used against them. Yeah. All right. This is not about people using things against people. They are, these are simply strategies to understand thinking. Okay. All right? Yeah. And so, yes, they're from the warring times, but they're manoeuvres. Yeah. They're thinking. So it's not a deception thing. No. It will, you know, it's about, um, you know, do they understand? It's like the, these strategies are fundamental in thinking. Yeah. It's not even – people don't even think about them. Yeah. Yeah, they don't yeah. even think about them. It, it's just they understand them. I have never met a Chinese person if I've said to them, have you heard of strategic strategies? They'll obviously say yes. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I love it. Strategy three. Oh, yes. Murder with a borrowed knife. Strategy three. Now, when we hear murder with a borrowed knife, some people, oh, no. As I said, you don't take it literally. Yeah. That's the important thing with these because our, our you know, our sort of, psyche says oh murder oh their war strategies their deception strategies they're trying to murder us no yeah all right murder with a borrowed knife is about delegation all right so throwing someone under the bus well <laughs> you're go- okay chinese chinese culture I'm going negative here sorry <laughs> chinese culture is hierarchical yeah all right very hierarchical so for example you do not call your lecturer by their first name. Mm. You do not call your boss by their first name most of the time. It's a hierarchical culture. Yeah. So you you go into a meeting, all right, and 
and I've been into several meetings, oh, hundreds of meetings, because I've been doing this business for over 20, you know, 20 years or something, yeah. like a long time. Yeah. And so you go into a meeting and who is the most powerful person in the meeting in Chinese culture? Now, in Western culture, generally it's the person that has the nicest suit, they talk the most, they look like they are the CEO, we know. Yeah. But in Chinese culture, the higher up you go, the less you talk mm. and the less visible you are. So the the leader of the meeting is the one that says the least, is the one that moves the least because they are murdering with a borrowed knife. They are letting the person that's just beneath them in hierarchy to answer the difficult questions. Mm to the, do the proposal because they are conserving their energy. This strategy is about conserving your energy. Now, if you can think of it like this, think of a chessboard, yep. all right? Think of the king on the chessboard. Moves one space. The king moves the least yeah. on the board but the king is the most powerful piece. Yeah. So when you're looking at... Chinese business culture and you want to see who is the most powerful, you look for the king on the chessboard. They are the ones that move the least and say the least. Mm. So this is about delegation. So the idea is if you are trying to always talk to someone who is higher up and trying to get to them, that won't happen. Mm. You need to look at who is the person that is just below that person. And I've dealt with a lot of companies that deal with factories. Mm. Oh, Leone, you know, they're not, you know, the, the specs on that table aren't right and we're trying to get to the higher-up higher person. And it's like, no, you need to make a – you need to build a relationship with a person that is just below that yeah. person, one or two people, and then you will get yeah, that Yeah, it's amazing. You respect that tradition and then yeah. you actually will get – will have some level of influence. It's knowing because otherwise you can literally just bashing your head against a brick wall and saying, oh, you know, they don't call me. <laughs> of course. They're not supposed to. The, other, the next person will call you. I like that one. Strategy six, make noise in the east and attack in the west. Okay, make a noise in the east and attack in the west, yes. All right. Now, an example of this one. Let's say I have. Uh, a product. Let's say I get pens made in China, mm -hmm. all right, and I, t I am, I am not happy about the price, and I want the price to go down because I feel like I'm paying too much for this. Mm -hmm. So I approach the person that I've developed the relationship in the factory, and I've got a good relationship, so I understand murder with a borrowed knife. I'm really good about that now. Mm -hmm. That's fabulous, and. What happens is I start talking to them and then they start talking about the, the, the size and the colour and the packaging and they take me right away from the price. So all of a sudden the conversation has shifted and I don't know mm. because they've made a noise in the, in the east and attack in the west. Mm. Now the other way that this can happen, they might say, sure, We'll agree with the price and I think once again I've conquered China. This is fabulous. This is terrific. However, then it's like, well, we can do that but what we need to do is just use a different material, you know, but it's, it's, it's just as good but we'll use a different material which is slightly less expensive. Now, I need to know 
to counteract this strategy, number one, the first example, I need to keep them on track, come back to the pros. The second example is I need to go into that meeting with all the variables because if they say we'll use a different a different material, is that going to be okay because are my consumers going to be happy with that? Mm. They look at the pen and they say, oh, but I bought this pen six months ago and it was a different product. Mm. So if I'm happy with it, that's okay. But before going into the meeting to counteract that strategy, I need to be looking at all of those variables so that I can tick those boxes. So that's how make a noise in the east and attack in the west happens. Mm. I do have a good example of that um, being, I think it's a reasonable example of that being used in an Australian context on Chinese people. Uh Let's say you're in real estate, all right? And you've got a Chinese family that's really interested in this amazing house. However, you know that they're good negotiators, mm-hmm. all right? And, well, no, okay, a different example. They have asked you what houses do you have on your books, yep. all right? Now, you know they're really good negotiators, so you know that they're going to bring you down on price, all right? So what you do is you research what their lifestyle is. So do they want to live near the CBD? Do they have children they want to, you know, to be near a school? Mm -hmm. Do they want to be near a shopping centre? Do they like the beach? Mm -hmm. Then what you do is you come up with a house. It can be expensive, right? You come up with a house that has all of those things that you have researched so that you're actually making, making a noise in the east and attacking in the west because you are focusing on things everything but the price. Mm. So when you get to the price, it doesn't matter because you have focused on all yeah. of those things that, that actually tick those boxes. Yeah, they want what they want and the price is kind of irrelevant now. That's right. But if you went in just with the price and didn't said, oh, you know, this is a great yeah, house. absolutely. So you, you, all of those things, those, those surrounding things that are important to that person, you can focus on that. Yeah, I love it. It's almost like providing them with their return on investment, really, isn't it? Well, you know, it is. And when you when you have everything that ticks the boxes of your needs, when it comes to price, price becomes <laughs> almost irrelevant because mm. it ticks all in, those in certain in certain yeah. situations. Um, but it will definitely override it. But if you just came in with that yeah. straight up, you know, so this is about you know going around things. Absolutely. So strategy 11. Oh, sacrifice the plum tree to preserve the peach tree. That's the one. Yeah, okay. This is about this is about having short-term goals to get the big picture. All right? So to give away something that is short-term interest to get a bigger-term goal. Yeah. So most businesses in Australia are way smaller than the businesses in China. Yeah. So you need to know that when someone is connecting with you, are you their short-term goal to get to the big thing? Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but where do you sit in that? Now, often these short-term goals, it could be, for example, you know, um, offering you something like, uh, you know, um, if you've got an office in China, offering you rent, you know, rent for free for a certain mm. amount of time or you know, often in Chinese in, in Chinese consumer behaviour is, 
um, they really like, you know, get buy one, get one free. It's a little, little giveaway before the, you. That's right. And, you know. To build a relationship. Build relationship. And strategy, strategy 11 can be used, you know, for, um, you know, gyms. Gyms do it. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, yeah. bring in a friend. Ten to day, get, ten day free trial. Ten day free trial, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah. sacrifice, but, but I suppose with this one, you need to know what is your peach tree and what are you sacrificing? Yeah. So think about it really clearly and also think, are you the plum tree to get to their peach tree? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, strategy 15, lure the tiger down the mountain. Is that just the case of not playing in someone else's realm? Okay. Lure the tiger down the mountain. We, we look here once again at the code inside it. Mm. So who is the tiger? And what is the mountain? So when this strategy is played on, out on you, you are the tiger and the mountain is your comfort zone because tigers live in mountains. Mm. And there is a Chinese saying, when the tiger is on the plains, it is bullied by dogs. Okay, so... Mm. This is about location. Where are you going to negotiate? Yeah. So, yeah. for example, you know, if you're used to going to a particular city or a particular location and a Chinese person says to you, uh, the, your, your Chinese contact says, look, um, look, Daniel, you know, how about we go to our other office because I'd like to show you this, this and this or, you know, we'd like to take you out to here, there and everywhere. Now, because you're used to going to that location, it is better that you push back mm. because location, you're a bit nervous anyway. You might be talking about the price. This might be the big deal. Yeah. So pulling back, pulling them back by saying, well, because you may cause lots of face by just saying no. Look, you know, thanks very much, but I'll take a rain check on that. Um, definitely love to do that next time. And there will be a no next time because you're saying that just to keep the peace. Yeah because the idea is to bring you out of your location. Now, of course, lure the tiger down the mountain. The best place for the tiger to be is in their own mountain. Mm. So if you can be negotiating in your own location, that is the best scenario. But be very careful when you're, when you're being lured out of your comfort zone, okay, that, um, that you could be, you know, you could be quite nervous and, mm. you know, you're already dealing with a different location. So, therefore, you're dealing with negotiation, you're dealing with a different culture and a different location. Yeah. So, the, you think about yourself. With these, with these strategies, once you, you know, when, when you, and here's coming back to my anthropology and linguistics, when you give something a name, it becomes very powerful. And yeah. I find that when I train people and take people through these, and you don't necessarily have to be dealing with China. Yeah. When, you t when I take people through these, Daniel, they can say, oh, lure the tiger down the mountain. Who is the tiger? What is the mountain? You know, fool the emperor to cross the sea. Yeah. Who is the emperor? What is the sea? So it gives something a name. Yeah. So lure the tiger down the mountain. You think, okay, am I taking the tiger out of the mountain or am I the tiger going down the mountain? Yeah. So you understand your, where you are in the context. Is, is it like I'm just using literally the tiger and mountain in it in – 
in the actual words that are there in front of me, I have a better chance attacking and killing the tiger if it's in the city as opposed to in the mountains, right? Like it just makes sense to me. But does that not contradict the strategy one um, in, in sort of buttering up the emperor? Well, think about it this way. Um, you're not <coughs> killing the tiger. Yeah. Okay, you're not yeah. killing the tiger. The tiger doesn't get killed. Okay, the tiger, you think about it, the tiger lives in a mountain and when you're coming up for a negotiation, so that you know, strategy one is is making you feel comfortable mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. Yes, but strategy fifteen is more about when you're coming up to that negotiation. Okay. Strategy fifteen is part of the confronting strategies. Okay. All right. Strategy one is what we call the advantageous strategies. Okay. So this is a confrontational strategy. Yeah. When you're in a confrontational situation. Lure the tiger. Lure the tiger. That's right. Beautiful. The strategy 30, exchange the role of a guest for that of the host. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I see this strategy, I have seen this and see this strategy often when um, someone employs someone or contracts someone to do an interpretation. So, for example, you are meeting, you know, a Chinese group and they don't speak English, Um, they speak very little English. One of the group does speak quite good English and they say, look, Daniel, don't worry about your interpreter, you can use ours. Mm. So all of a sudden you've given them the, the link into exchange the role of guest for that of host because first they become a guest, then they become a ghost. Mm -hmm. Become a host, a host because host. not a ghost, a host <laughs> because because they are you are using their interpreter and then you know that obviously will cross over to them. Yeah. Now the other way, so that's a no no. Yeah. All right. The other thing. So always, if you are dealing with China, always bring your own interpreter. Yes, and always bring your own interpreter. However, whatever industry you are working in, make sure your interpreter knows that vocabulary because mm. just because someone speaks Chinese doesn't mean they know the vocabulary of your industry. Yeah, okay. You know, so if you're in furniture, yeah, if you're in fair. engineering, you know, if you're in IT, you know, whatever. You need to speak the lingo. You, you need to give them all of the words so that they can understand that in Chinese. Now, when you... When you contract an interpreter, the rule of thumb is that they do not make contact, you know, exchange business cards or, you know, or contacts or anything like that with the Chinese group, all right? They are your eyes, your ears and your mouth, Mm. all right? So you say three sentences, then they interpret. You say three sentences, then they interpret, all right? So and they do not change anything in the interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, if you say, "Oh, how'd that go?" That's not okay. They only interpret what you tell them. Now, because you need to put in a barrier so they do not become the host. Mm. Because all of a sudden, if your interpreter is starting to starting to make friends mm. with the Chinese group, that yeah. all looks very well and good and wonderful. However, you then become, you know, you, you're in the back seat then. Yeah. All right. So you need to always be the host. Yeah. And exchange the role of that of, uh, exchange the role of 
guests for that of host can happen really easily because, you know, most people, you know, in Western culture, most people, you know, let's say in Australian culture, yep. they don't have those skills. Yeah. No. And so so we think, oh, this is great, you know. Um, you know, th- this person is interpreting and then they can they can do this, they can do that, they can do this. They are only in an interpreter, so, you, you know, to make sure that they don't move into that host role because mm. you lose control then. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you for that. We'll jump into oh, no, some other questions. Obviously, a big part of your world is consulting with businesses. Yes. Uh, and helping them deal with the Chinese business world. Yes. Someone who's fresh off the street, entrepreneur, looking at some product, building some product, wants to take it internationally, sees China <coughs> really as an as a great opportunity, has no idea where to start. It's very overwhelming because of the, the language barriers and everything else like that. They come to you, where do we start? How does it, what does it look like? Yeah, okay. Most people come to me um, when someone has said, wow, that would be a great product for China. Mm. Yeah. Um, so So what's a great product for China? Oh, what, what? It could, at the moment um, it could be uh, mum and baby, mum and baby okay. uh, care, um, anything in the health health sector, uh, vitamin pills, yeah, okay. um, anything to do with, uh, you know, things like environmental technology. Yeah. So um, service, services. Services. Yeah. Services. Uh, do they, do they um, given and knowing that they are extremely intelligent in the business world and from strategically and strategically thinkers as well, do they, do they like the advice given from the Western world or do they prefer to stick to their, their own knowledge base? Well, put it this way. If my knowledge base was two and a half thousand years old and it worked, I would keep using Correct. it. Correct. That's I think where so, I'm going so, with that. So there's no there's no question about that. Even even when uh, Chinese people have studied in Western culture, they still know about the thirty six Chinese strategies. Yeah. So they actually have both. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, and I'm saying they don't think, oh, you know, I'm going to use this strategy. I'm going to use this strategy. It is very much an unconscious action. Mm. So back to your question, where does someone start? All right. You know, the first thing I like to do is to get them, you know, to get them understanding these strategies because once they go through each strategy, they understand not only the strategies but in inside that, uh, you know, the issue of face hierarchy as we've discussed mm. in Murder with a Borrowed Knife, also the concept of networking which is called guanxi, how you do that. So all of these cult- – Sorry, can you just touch on face? What, what, face, yeah. yeah. Okay. Face is about how you are seen in front of people. Now, the difference is people say, oh, you know, but, Leonie, we have face in, in our own culture here. Sure. However, the difference is that in, in Australian culture, it is how I see myself. Mm-hmm. In Chinese culture, it is how other people see me. Okay. All right? So it's very similar to my culture, which is the Italian culture. Yeah, there you go. You same. understand yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So that, you know, so the strategies encompass all of these things. Mm. So I like to take people through that, whether that be a group in a company, whether that be a one-to-one, mm. um, take people through the strategies. Then we – and what happens is then they start to understand like fully input across the sea. Okay, I've got my, for example, my healthcare product and straight away they start looking at, oh, okay, maybe it, I need to modify it. 
but I have to fully input across the sea and they start to look at these strategies then, how they can use them okay. and also to how they are used on them. Yeah. So they get real, So I like to get them really educated on that and then we look at different um, avenues. So probably the first point of call is generally an Austrade office in China. Mm-hmm. I've got connections in all the all the offices there um, and they will do some really good research on what is out there mm-hmm. you know so what what who are my competitors who are the distributors in China yeah. so we start with that process first of all getting once they understand these they their head just goes wow yeah and they feel so much more confident mm. about what to do it's uh it's amazing because a lot, a lot of them I'm gonna paint entrepreneurs with a brush here that would rather just get in and do the work and get on with it and move forward and and move quickly and move at speed to do the research and do the background it all seems too hard yeah is that something that you come across quite a bit look most people i find you know people who really do their work Mm. and you know it's really just about understanding you know if you're going if you're if you're marketing your product in Australia, let's say you're marketing it over to Western Australia, you will understand Western Australian yeah, culture. Yeah, that's right. Right? It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, look, if you don't understand China, uh, it's highly likely you, you will eventually come unstuck. Yeah. Because a situation arises and you don't know what's happening mm. because you simply don't know the why behind it. Mm. And once we know the why behind something is happening, then we can understand it. Um, so, you know, it is it is definitely advised that people who are dealing with China, if they want to do it properly, to look at. They need to do their research. They right? need to do their well, research. Well, it's, it's, it's a good model for any business plan, right, to, yeah. to do the research, really understand it, come up with your own strategy and how you're going to get into, uh, into the world of China. What is the benefit, though? What is the benefit of doing all that extra research and, and going down the, the long road of the, you know, of the different cultures, the different language? Um, what benefit have you seen with some of your clients that come out of it? Well, I mean, China is a massive market. Mm. You know, it is. it really is a massive market. And when we say doing all the research and doing all this, look, seriously, to take people through the strategies, I mean, I generally do this, – this is the time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, I generally do um, – uh, for one hour, I would do four strategies. Yep. If okay. I was taking somebody one-to-one, yep. I can do groups. Yep. Um, so it doesn't take me that long to get someone pretty sussed up. Okay. And once they understand this, then they can, they've got a really good base to understand other things. Mm. And if you're marketing a product, you would do the research anyway. Yeah. You know, so uh, I'm not saying that it's not difficult, but I think that the, you know, the benefits are definitely there, yeah. um, you know, if you want to go Is into the market it. conducive to the Australian Market, like especially now given the current yeah. state of affairs, how have you found and what is your take on the current? Yeah, okay. Okay, the market obviously for wine and things like that because the tariffs have gone up but there's still, there's still you know, like the export to China is yeah. still huge yeah. um, and it's still, you know, a major trading partner. And there are things that Australia has got, you know, um, that uh, that China is very interested in. So if you've, you know, looking at what is – what is the product of the time? And as I said, you know, things to do with mum and baby, mm. um, you know, things to do with health, 
anything to do with aged care, um, those kinds of things, uh, you know, hot products in China. Yeah. Am I right in saying that China isn't a capitalist country like, and the, the Communist Party retains control over the direction of the country, right? So they maintain, so they can maintain their course in a socialist development. Do, is that, does, how does that fit with your values, right? So knowing that we here have the ability to grow and um, the government really can't control, other than like obviously keep us within our legal means, can't control what we are doing with our business, but yet China can. Does that fit well with you and your values? Well, you know, I mean, China's a different culture. Yeah. And I think we have to understand that, you know, these differences, whether I agree or not, or, you know, I don't, I think that's irrelevant almost because, you know, it is a different culture. China has, it has a completely different political structure Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, has done for years. That hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. Mm. Um. You know, and I think the the difficulty with Australia is that we have never really dealt with a country that has a different language, a completely different culture, different negotiating strategies, mm. and also a completely different political structure. We have learnt about Europe. We have learnt about the United States. I mean, you know, you ask someone what are the what are the states of the United States. If you ask someone what are the countries in Europe. If if you ask someone what are the provinces in China, I bet they wouldn't be able to reel them off. Mm. It's because we have not had the education about China, and it's all of a sudden come on to us because, you know, we we understand the other world powers because that's been easier. Yeah. So. Easier because of the language, and because of the well, the language, the, the culture. Um, you know, they're very aligned with our our political structure. Mm-hmm. You know, similar political structure. So, uh, in answer to your question about values, I think each country has different values, and you know, whether right, wrong, or otherwise, you know, it, it's like it is. It is a different culture, and we don't have to agree with what China does, mm. and they don't have to agree with us. But I think it's important that we understand the Chinese thinking. Yeah. Um, now, you may ask the question, but should China understand how we think? Now, I will answer that question by, because I get asked this a lot. It was going to be a question. Go, yeah. Going to be a question, yeah. <laughs> okay. Think about it this way. How many students have studied business, Chinese students mm. from China, have studied business in Australia, thousands. Mm. Okay, so they've studied degrees in in our in our course. How many people like myself, okay, have studied anthropology, psychology, business in through a Chinese business degree? I could probably name them on a hand. Yeah, I have studied Chinese. That's easy, mm. and you know that's the people who speak who speak, you know, Western people who speak yeah. Chinese in Australia are few and far between anyway. Yeah. So I think the learning, we we assume that China doesn't understand us. They understand us pretty damn well. Mm. They know and they're able to do to use strategies. Mm. So you say, is, that, is there an element of you think they're a step ahead of us? Well, if you don't understand how people think, of course they're going to be a step ahead mm. of us. 
you know, um, that's just, you know, that's just how it is. So the media are really betraying the, the Chinese market and, and obviously the political environment to be almost bullies at the moment. Do you agree with that, Steph? Well, you know, I, we have to see the media as the media. Mm. All right, and that's what the media do. They take something and they <laughs> they, they do it. Yeah. And people ask me this who, are you know, might be dealing with China. I say, look, if you're dealing with China, just keep your head straight. You know, don't get involved. Don't get caught up in it. Um, you know, there's no need to be caught up in the hysteria of what's going on. Yeah. If it affects you, I understand. Some wine companies have, you know, that's been really hard for them. However, you know, it's a situation and, look, China, we've been dealing with China for a very long time. Yep. It's got difficult over the last two years and this was going to happen because we have never really, you know, really tried to understand China. You know, there's been a little bit of this and a little bit of that but actually, you know, the deep dive into understanding China hasn't really happened. Mm. So, you know, it, they understand more about us than we do them and we actually need them more than they need us, believe it or not. So, mm. you know, it, it's – and the other thing too is we – China is in the media every day mm. here, you know. You, I mean it's on the front page of the newspaper oh, today. Yeah. And But it's not that case in China. We don't focus on the media every day. We think we do. Yeah. But we actually don't. We are a very small piece in the pie. Yeah. You know, so whereas, you know, for us it's every day, every day. And we think that we are in their media all the time. Yeah, no, we're small. And that's a little bit of the sort of, you know, we're important, we're important. Well, we're at the centre of our own universe, yeah. You know, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What, looking in the mirror, right, are we hard to do with? Would the Chinese look at us and say, oh, the Australians? The Aussies, they're a bit tough. No, I, look, I from my from my experience, um, Chinese people have really liked dealing with Australians. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard Chinese people say, "Oh, Australians are difficult," Stay away. or anything like no. that. They like our, you know, our friendliness. They like the clean green. Uh, you know, th- I haven't heard that from from my experience that's good. No, that's good. that Australians are. It's always just good to know the other side of the, uh, you know, put the, the shoe on the other foot. That's from my opinion, yeah. you yeah, know, yeah. I, and I think there's… Oh, there's no doubt there's going to be some businesses and politicians that are, are difficult to deal with, but… Um, but And I think, you know, the, the general feeling on the street in China, as I understand, but having said that, Daniel, I haven't been to China since COVID, so I haven't been able to talk on the street yeah. to people. Um but, you know, what I understand is the general feeling is that they still like Australian products. They still feel, you know, quite okay about Australia, you know. So it's, you know, but of course there's areas that, you know, you, you know, you've got, you've got the trade going on and then you've got the political stuff and, mm. you know, sort of where do we sit in that? Yeah, 100%. I'm going to ask you a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek question. If you pick up, you're sitting at home, you're picking up the financial review or you're on, going online and looking on the financial review and you're reading about China, you say they're in the front of the page today in the paper. Um, do you sit there and you look at them, do you look at what they're doing and the stories that are being written uh, and you go, oh, yeah, look, they're pulling a, a strategy 12 move here. Do you yep. ever do do yep. that? Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yes, I do. Is yes, it, I do. Is it, um, is it alarming that? The, the business world doesn't pick that up and doesn't yes. see that? 
Yes. And what is your suggestion in that? Well, my suggestion is to, you know, to learn these, to learn these <laughs> to, and to learn how to learn the strategies because whether you're dealing with China or you're dealing with whatever country, you know, or you're dealing with just in Australia, they are very clever mm. um, and not to see them as war strategies and deceptive strategies, see them as clever See them as clever ways of thinking. Mm. Um, so I would, you know, just merely the, I suppose, that that megaphone approach of, you know, what's going on, you know, how, how the government have, you know, have used that approach yeah. um, is, not really, is not really taken up that well by China. Mm. Kind of a slightly different question you know, you said you haven't been to China since COVID. Do you still keep in contact with them right yeah, now? Well, and you know, obviously, I mean, I'm in contact with uh, – look, I do, um, you know, webinars, yeah. um, things like that from Auscham in yeah. Shanghai. There's there's different things that happen. Yeah. If there's anything that, you know, that, you know, that is happening online, I join that, of yeah. course. So, yeah, yeah. Were you, were you aware of the outbreak early in 2020 or late 2019? Were you – but were your counterparts in China, the people that you speak to and connect with over there, were they sort of warning you of what was coming? Uh, oh, look, I think that, look, I, I, I don't think anyone really knew how big this would be. Yeah. Um, and, yes, like everyone, I heard that there was something happening in mm. China. Um, but, I, you know, I don't think that anybody could predict what actually did happen. Mm. And I don't think we can predict where we will be this time next year. I think this is a day-by-day thing. Yeah. But we have to... When we do this day by day, sort of, you know, put one foot in front of the other, um, we need to sort of work out how we're dealing with trade and how we're dealing with other people and who we are, you know. I mean, the investigation of COVID-19, you know, for China. Mm. Now, it wasn't the investigation that lost face. It was how it was said. Okay. All right. So it wasn't what it was how. Yeah. This is the issue. How do you? How do you? Is, is that the face? Talk about yeah. yeah. How do you talk about something? And mm. this is this is you know, if we knew if we knew about how to do this, it, I think it would have been quite different. Is there a reason, in your opinion, and this could, could you know, I don't want this to be a controversial question, but is there a reason why it was kept? Hush, hush. Is that because of their the way they manage their strategies and the way they the, the way the culture is? Or well, I don't know how long it was kept hush hush for, and I really I don't think anyone really knows that. Mm. Um, you know, I I don't know whether it was whether it was something that that was kept hush hush for that long. I, I, I you know I, I I think that's sort of you know throwing a ball up there and not really knowing. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, I'm not someone who, and I, I don't think anyone could answer that. Yeah, it seems like there's just been with information withheld. But again, I'm only getting my source. Yeah, from and we see this, and we know, you know. But how do we know? How do we know this? Mm. Um, and it's all very well and good to point the finger. And I think there's a lot of point of fi- pointing finger going on, but there's not a lot of talking. Yeah. You know, so it's almost like okay, look, you know, okay. You've done this. We've done this. It's almost like, look, let's talk. Let's now. get on with it. Let's get on with it. I think yeah, for, for me, that is the most important thing. Let's get on with it. Let's figure out how it happens or it didn't happen again, right? Yeah. That's the that's the main thing. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, this this can't happen moving forward. The, the, the pandemic shuts down the world. We need to get on top of it straight away. And that's communication strategies early on, isn't that's it? That's right. Really? That's communication. And you know, I mean, it is better to be friends with China mm. and to be not with not be friends yeah. with China. Yeah, truly, it really is. Do you do you feel that the um, the, the relationship has been tarnished though, and can it get back to where it was? It definitely has, um, has you know, gone downhill mm. since in the last couple of years, yeah. and I'm an op- I'm an optimistic person, and yeah. I do believe that it can get back. I don't know to where it was because you know quite often things don't get back to the same. They yeah. they are different. Yeah. However, I think that there are things that we could do that could you know bring the relationship back on track. Has Australia and the businesses in Australia realised that the reliance on China was too great? And now they're looking elsewhere. Well, look, um, that has been you know that has been talked about about you know diversification. Mm. There's nothing wrong with diversification. The issue we've got now is that the diversification that we've got is with a lot of countries, whereas China was the one big customer. Yeah. It's almost like you've got one big customer, and now you've got all these lot of little customers. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with diversification, but I would like to say not a China or strategy, but a China and strategy. Yeah, that's fair. You know, um, so don't, you know, don't just do away with China. Yeah, no doubt. You know, um, because there's a lot of work and a lot of effort put into these new relationships. Mm. Um, and also when we're dealing with countries, you know, like say the US and Europe for export, we've got to think that the freight is higher. You know, there's a whole range of things yeah. there. Um, yeah. Do, do these strategies work across all the Asian countries, such as Japan and, and the well, like? Well, um, look, I have been told that, you know, pe- people in those countries know them. However, Daniel, I would like to say that I am a, I'm a Chinese expert mm. um, and that's where my skills are. Yeah. So definitely in all the, you know, the Chinese-speaking countries yeah. um, and any Chinese person that you see here. But as far as Korea, Japan, Thailand and those places, um, I'm probably not the best person to ask yeah. because my ex- I'm very much a specialist. Yeah. However, I have heard they they are, but I would not like to say that 100%. Yeah, no doubt. So yeah. there, there would be some similarities in their cultures. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Excellent. We are past the hour mark, so thank you. We got there, which is great. Um, we kind of sort of round up the podcast with a few quick fire questions at the end it's and it's got nothing to do really with what we're other than maybe the first question hasn't really got anything uh, related to what we've been talking about they're a little bit off the side questions just to understand your way of thinking now we're big readers here at synergy iq what are you reading right now what am i reading Uh or studying or, or learning right now Okay, now, as you know, I've written six books. Yeah. All right. And I'm probably someone who likes to go into a novel or something else. I'm very interested in popular culture. Yeah. I am reading all 100 interviews, conversations that people had with David Bowie. Oh, really? There you go. Because I'm very interested in, in, um, as I said, pop culture. He's an interesting character. Interesting character. So all of the different different conversations that there's a book about 
you know, all the conversations that people had with David Bowie. And there might be just a paragraph, someone said that, someone said that, and, you know, what they what they thought of him. So that's what I'm reading. Yeah, great. Love it. Um, in regards to strategy, other than Sun Tzu's book and like the 36 um, strategies and and your books, what uh, what is one book that you can recommend in this world that our listeners can pick up and read? That'll add value, right? So we want them to pro- we want to promote your books first and Sun Tzu's, but what else in that realm? Because I've read all of them. Ah, uh, okay. Do you, do you want sort of like is a strategic it- book, something in strategy or something in understanding how to grow your business worldwide or whatever it might be? Anything that you can recommend that you feel that even some of your clients might might use and get benefit out of? I think you know you can even go back to some of those. Um, some of those books that were written many years ago, like things like the E Myth and all those mm. kinds of books. Yeah. Um, look, I probably couldn't recommend one book. I think that book is very good, um, the E Myth. But what I would like to say is that even there's so many new things coming out mm. that quite often they're they're really a rehash of the other stuff. Yeah. No so doubt. if you've got that on your shelf, you know, quite often. It's a good idea to reread those things that you have on your shelf. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I agree. They go back to the foundational books. The really. foundational books. Um, yeah, that's that's probably one of the books that I think is the myth. Like yeah, that. I, I, you know, I'm trying to. I haven't read a huge amount of business books in the last few years purely because I've been writing my own. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, so so um, let's pick up your box set then. Yeah, pick up my box set. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Brilliant. Do you, do you um, listen to any pod, other podcasts other than this one, of course? do you, Is there anything else that you consume from a learning point of view? Um, some of the uh, – look – because you've been on a few podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, do you mean some of the podcasts that I listen to myself? Yeah, what do you listen to? Yeah, all right. Who's Leonie? Let's get yeah, to know you. Yeah, what does Leonie listen to? All right. <laughs> Often um, I might hear something on, on Radio National, Yeah. all right, and it might be, oh, I'll catch it in the morning Yeah. and then I'll listen to it as a podcast, you know, during the day I'll just yeah, put my headset okay. on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's kind of what I do as far as podcasts go. Yeah. Um, and because I find that, you know, I get the, the latest and they might be 10 minutes, they could be, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you just get source of information from these? I did hear it, yes. I heard a quite a good one probably about was a couple of weeks ago. Latrobe University ran it and it was, um, it was Kevin Rudd and Malcolm Turnbull talking mm. about China. Oh, there you go. And I thought that was a very – I really like that one. It's uh, Latrobe University. Um, And they they had a webinar but they put it into a a podcast. Yeah, so that was – I thought something like that was, you know, sometimes I come across things. Yeah, absolutely. If you could invite three people to dinner, who would you invite? Jodie Mitchell. Jodie Mitchell. Who's Jodie? Singer. Oh, yes. Canadian singer. Yes, yes, yes. Why Jodie Mitchell? Oh, because I just think she's she's an amazing – you know, a yeah. fantastic singer and yeah. a songwriter and, yeah. you know, David, ethical. David Bowie? Maybe. He's dead though. Yeah. No, Unfor- well, okay. Let's rephrase it. Dead or alive? Who could you Oh, invite? yeah. Gee, I'd love to have <laughs> David Bowie at my dinner. Sure. Um, dead or alive. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, okay. Three people to dinner. 
So any so yeah, include that people. Who who are people you look up to? Is really the question, the basis of the question. Like who 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 are people that you're interested in or wouldn't mind having a a wine with or sitting around a dinner table and having a conversation. I would really like to meet Kevin Rudd. Yeah, okay. So I think David Bowie, Johnny Mitchell. And Kevin Rudd. There's a there's a good mix. Yeah. <laughs> a strange old mix. I love it. Uh, if you had access to a time machine, this is a really odd question. If you had access to a time machine and you could go, you could travel back or you could travel to the future, you, you know, one sort of a return, return trip only, where would you go? So I don't have to go back. You could go matter. back or forward. Where would you go? Mm. Anytime. Probably. Okay. So. Let me see. Two thousand and thirty. Two thousand and thirty. Okay, tell us why. What's why's that specific? Because <laughs> we are in so much change. Uh, yeah. You know, um, with the world. Yeah. You know, politically, um, health wise. Yeah. And I would like to see by two thousand and thirty where we're at. Yeah. That'd be cool. You know, like it's real short term, but yeah, it is short term. But you know, think about it this way, Daniel. Like what's happened over the last two years? I know. It's been really fast. So yeah. I think, yeah, 2030. I'm someone who does kind of look more into the future, so I don't really want to go back. Hmm. I agree. I, like, I prefer to go to the future. You know. Um, Absolutely. You know, however, I think sometimes, gee, I travel the world like that. Will that ever happen again? Hmm. Um, because I was really lucky to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't see the world being in lockdown for much more than another 12 months surely surely yeah. famous last words I see what happens yeah. yeah let's go to 2030 then excellent if you had last question if you had, if you had one superhero power what would you choose if you could choose one superhero power what would you choose what a person or a superhero power if you could have a power you know visibility fly whatever what would you fly. choose fly yeah i think yeah fly because i <laughs> you know i love birds <laughs> and i yeah. look at birds and i think Hmm. That'd be good. If I could, if I, if you know, if it is true, you know that you that you that you that you come back into another life. I'd really, I think it'd be amazing <laughs> to be a bird and fly. The freedom. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today, Leonie. It's been wonderful Absolute having you pleasure. And, and picking your brain on these strategies. I know I've definitely learned. A few little pearls of wisdom in there, so much appreciated. Where can we find you? And first of all, your books, they can be found on Amazon and… Yeah, Amazon. Booktopia and all Booktopia, the above. Booktopia, all of the… All of the any of your favourite online stores, Booktopia, you know, um, uh, iTunes, you can, you know, Google Play, all of the e-books if you want those um, and the hard copy, soft copy, all on Amazon. Brilliant. My website is leonimckeon.com. Yeah. Um, and if you want to contact me, please do. You want to chat, happy to do so. Excellent. So for those who are interested in uh, taking their business to China and even learning about the 36 strategies or looking for a keynote or any of the above, Absolutely. get in touch with, uh, with Leonie. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time again. Thanks very much, Daniel. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. 
And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.